We went here. God, that was only yesterday. It feels like. Was it yesterday? It was only yesterday. It feels like forever ago. God. I f- well, I'm a different person after it. Yeah, So absolutely. I feel like there was my life before and there was my life after. We took a little pilgrimage over to. Do we need to make like, we need to do like horrified like gross face. <laughs> so they're like, oh, look at that. Horrible. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so we went, we went to the Ronald Reagan Presidential wow. Library and Museum. Basically, since FDR, every president has constructed a privately funded museum that houses the archives of their records and correspondences and things over the years, as well as some propaganda, making them look amazing and omitting anything horrible they did. Just a a little bit, just as a treat, (laughs) a a little bit of propaganda. So now I'm like kind of hooked and like, I feel like we kind of want to go to all of them, honestly, because like... I need something to compare it to because this was basically, I mean, if there's such a thing as an ideological theme park... This is it. In the scope of presidential libraries, this is the most well-funded. It's enormous. We ba- we went through half of it, thought it was done, and realized there was a whole other museum. And thank God so, we, we didn't leave because the, the shit we saw in the second half real. was fucking yeah, so yeah. good. Like, first they lead you through this whole thing, and it's like, and then he got elected, and then it's like, we got to see the Air Force One. Like, we got to walk on the plane. The get, actual plane. The actual plane that, like, we, we got a photo in front of it, and too. And we did, and the photos, did you bring it? I didn't bring it. That's pretty epic. We need to save it because the attire in the photo is um, (laughs) strong mimetic potential. Yeah. So where should we start? This is how I've been digesting it in the last, let's say, 24 hours, something like that. The first half of the Reagan Library, it brings you through his life, depicts him as this folksy character. He played football. He was an actor. He was inspired by FDR. He was inspired by the fireside chats. He was originally a radio broadcaster. He was working in sports. It shows slowly, incrementally his drift into what became the the neoconservatism of the 1980s. And it brings you through his political career. And then the museum stops. You get to see Air Force One. And you realize that there's this whole other thing after. And this part of it is like... I guess they work you down. They work you down like it's a boring uh, History Channel documentary or something. And then you're like, okay, I guess it's time to go home. And they're like, no. Communism is fucking satanic. And we're going to tell you about how Mao killed 80 million people. And then you go and like there's blaring sirens and searchlights. And there's like there's like reconstruction of a part of the Berlin Wall with like a hole underneath it. And you get to crawl, yes. you get to crawl through it. And I was like, this is definitely for kids. But bro, we have to crawl we through have- it. <laughs> and then this was the best part. After we crawled through it and we were like, this is incredible. There's like dog barking like sounds like it's really like like scary. And then there's like graffiti and stuff like inside of the, the whole tunnel thing. And then we crawled out and then there was this tour guide woman that was like, oh, did you guys crawl through the thing? And, and we we're like, yeah. And she was like, and didn't you just feel so free afterwards when you got out? She was on board. She, was, she yeah. had, like, she had like, a, like a red, white and blue like rhinestone like cross pin. Yes. And like a, like a yes. little like scar. If she was like fully Reagan's this is the, Yeah, she was a good generation plus older, right? She is the boomer demographic, socially conservative, but also embracing free market ideas. And what I was specifically interested to experience in the context of the Reagan Library is that we are now 40 years later, we're living in the world that Reagan and Thatcher built, right? We're living on the other side of neoliberalism. So I wanted to see how 
the Reagan Library as an ideological theme park, how do they it's present Joshua their own right. narrative? Political how do they present um, the aspirations that they had in the beginning, the prosperity that they hope to restore? The Gen Z conservative movement that I see now, obviously people on the left are deeply skeptical of his economic policy, deeply skeptical of his social policy. But I think the trend line that I'm, I'm curious to see how this bears out in the next few years is that the young right-wing conservatives of Gen Z are anti-Reagan's economic policy. So even for the people who are supposedly the beneficiaries of his project, they are no longer interested in continuing his legacy. I think that is the deepest condemnation that you can get for the project of neoliberalism. I have a quote for this that I'll I'll bring up later, but I've been I've been saving it. Yeah, us having read like a brief history of neoliberalism, this fits in really nicely and also kind of looking to the future of where these ideas are headed and like how we've inherited this world created whoops, sorry. See <laughs> neoliberalism just can't it can't stand up on its own, man. It's, it's uh, just been bound yeah, to collapse. It's it's, yeah. <laughs> that was the bus cycle, yeah. But I think some of the stuff we're going to look at tonight is kind of like his personal political history. And he used to be, he like led the Screen Actors Guild. He was the president and he led them in their only successful strike. And then he becomes, well, we'll get to all this, uh, very not friendly to people uh, on strike, as we will see later. He represents an inflection point in American history, in American politics, right? Reagan famously is a, a Democrat. His famous quote is that, I didn't leave the party, the party left me. And then he becomes, uh, he basically sells out because he gets a really rich and hot wife. Uh, and then he becomes like uh, basically a pawn for the interests of big business. But there's a, the meta project that I'm interested in doing this cultural research, this internet research. Um, and I think the connective tissue between all of these ideas, reading Fred Turner from Counterculture to Cyberculture, looking at Arguing the World, the documentary about the, uh, the Trotskyists of the 1920s and City College of New York that then become the neoconservatives uh, of literally the Reagan administration, specifically in the case of... Uh, Irving, uh, Irving Crystal. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Irving Howe is the DSA guy. Irving Crystal is the neocon. I'm interested in looking at that in the context of our current political moment of political realignment of culture war and seeing how the current political clusters are going to shift and be remapped in the very near future. So I think we're at a similar one of those inflection points. And going through this history, going through those three stories specifically will help us to have a better analysis of what's going to be coming down the pipeline very soon. Driving up to the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. Let's fucking go. We're pulling up Presidential Way, and we're passing a portrait of James Madison. We just passed Thomas Jefferson. I guess we're going through all of them in order. James Monroe, fifth. Speed up. So. I guess it's quite a... <laughs> oh, here's John Quincy Adams, oh, I okay, think. Quincy. Sixth. Portrait of everyone in chronological order. And there are war crimes listed on the back of the, <laughs> of the banner, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's only in the rearview mirror. That's how you see it. Yeah. Van Buren. It's kind of beautiful. It's um, totally isolated. We're in a little bit of wilderness on an abandoned road. Yeah, now we got Zachary Taylor. Yeah. So we're up to the 1850s now. We're winding up uh, a hill 
and the Who library. Miller, sorry to interrupt. Millard Fillmore. Millard Fillmore. I've never heard of that in my life, man. <laughs> I think they've thrown in a few just to see if you're paying attention. Enter the traffic circle, then you will arrive at your destination. You've arrived. Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Center for Public Affairs. This is beautiful out here. It's like really desolate. It's um, surprisingly packed. How many people in here do you think would be like not wanting to wear a mask? I'm also curious. Like I was oh, wondering, sure. you know? Yeah, yeah. There's no way they're going to make us show the Vax card though. Or maybe also because I this think they might have to. No, this okay, is so private property. Or this yeah, is private? presidential libraries. None of them are funded by the state, so they're all funded by uh, private donors. By they basically build a nonprofit. They solicit funds from supporters of the president, but nothing is paid for by the government. I had made that um, assumption as well. It's like, oh yeah, that after like federal government must contribute some form of funding but no not at all not at all for these so Hmm. i guess what makes it interesting then is that you're seeing a total distillation or a a representation of the ideology by its most enthusiastic supporters so there's no constraints from the public sector of like well if you have if you build a library you have to do x y and z i thought there was something that changed after nixon though something about like they used to keep all of their private letters and like correspondences or something and then like like and then a, he and broke all the laws and they yeah, didn't keep or, him in there. Yeah, or, or something like that. Basically, like, that there's some federal oversight. You can't just burn the bad stuff. Like, you actually have to, like, you have to keep it in your archives. And then also, I don't know when it was, but at some point they used to only do the libraries after the person died. And then they were like, actually, let's start simping before they're dead mm-hmm. so that they can, like... I think I like it that way. The, when it's I want to know, alive. yeah, I want to know that, like, the, the person approved it in some way. Yeah, definitely. So we're looking at a, a life-size bronze of Ronald and Nancy Reagan that seem kind of like a manlet. Like yeah. he's not as I imagined him being much taller for some reason. But look how huge her head is compared to his. Part her of it's the is, hair, but yeah. like and compared to her body, it's like really huge. Are the proportions off? Because I thought he was like I thought he was like a really tall guy. Six five or something. Like you know that. what they might be doing? Psychologically they might be doing something where they're like, they're just regular people, just regular, oh, you sure, know. Sure, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a sign that says hologram. We're gonna Oh, you know no, what? We might have just missed it. Oh hologram will be starting in a minute. Perfect timing. It's morning in America, and Americans are back to work. Their salaries rising. Productivity is at record levels. Historic tax cuts have passed. Pride and strength of the military is rebuilt. And above all, a spirit of optimism has been restored. Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman appointed to the Supreme Court, shatters another glass ceiling. As Americans enjoy renewed prosperity and feel good about themselves again, an election is barely three weeks away. The presidential rail car is departing from its first stop and should be arriving soon.
in the period between 1976 and 1980. The strongest economy in the world was pushed to the brink of collapse. Well, those disastrous consequences didn't come about by accident. They came through the implementation of the very policies of out-of-control spending, unfair taxation, and worship of big government. The, the thing that was most distracting to me was the, like, the security guy, but there was only one of them. There was, like, one security guy that was, like, almost just as prominently featured as him. Looks like, looks like somebody out of one of my bad music videos with, like, <laughs> the outfit from, like, Party City, like, CIA type. He, he was very clearly a person, whereas the, the, the Reagan hologram is obviously very much CGI. And also, no offense, but the hologram, it's one of those things just, like, the Irishman face tuning that they spent millions and millions of dollars on where it's just like it was not worth the money like you guys could have just gotten like an yeah. actor with, with prosthetics and like just edited the audio or like I don't that's know, what dude. I yeah I feel like the it's it's not at the level of Tupac is kind of the issue it's that we're gonna rate that one a four out of ten I was gonna say four yeah, yeah. that's good okay, nice. okay. we're on the same page, page. Okay. <laughs> yeah. so now we've entered this 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 other wing that um has a picture, a childhood picture of him. His mom was... A social worker, mm-hmm. right? Protestant, Scottish. His dad was Irish Catholic, alcoholic. Well, actually, I don't know if they're going to say he was an alcoholic in this exhibit. I just, like, know that from another thing. <laughs> I'm actually curious to know, because that's part of why the whole, like, the, like, mm. say no to drugs thing. Uh, like, new oh, prohibition, yeah, basically, yeah. was, like, fueled by that. You know, it's a humble beginning. It's an origin story. Story of overcoming. Reagans had little immaterial terms, but were emotionally wealthy beyond imagination. Young people and a young land with the best days ahead. There's an audio guide, but let's just read it ourselves. Yeah, we are the audio guide. Yeah. <laughs> Everything here so far has been very, just there's like inspirational quotes on the wall that were just kind of basically live, laugh, love. Like we're not <laughs> even looking at them. Mm. They're just like American people are dope and Reagan loves them. Oh, shit. Uh, what is this? A secret hiding place. We're looking at, there's a photograph of Reagan who's removing a tile from the floor. The tile itself is actually encased in a plexi vitrine. This tile came from the fireplace in Ronald Reagan's boyhood home. He often told the story that his family kept a penny behind the loose tile so they would never be penniless. He inspected the spot years later on a visit to Dixon. Don't tax the pennies. They did, cut they, did. Taxes. <laughs> they did come from like pretty humble origins, right? Which they also, they're not talking about that here, but that was like, his dad was a big FDR guy and that was like one of Reagan's big inspirations in terms of just quote unquote politics, like public mm-hmm. speaking and politics and leadership and yeah. those things. Because of the, um, the fireside chats, the radio addresses. And so he became, he went into media. Oh yeah, we're looking at it here. Yeah, they call him the great communicator, right? That's why he was inspired to go into radio in the first place was because of, but he went into sports radio at the beginning. He wasn't doing politics or news or anything even. He was just, uh, he was announcing baseball games, if I remember. Yeah, he started out in like somewhere in, I think Des Moines, Iowa or something. I love that we're like able to know this without even reading the plot. Yeah, yeah. And then he went to Des Moines, or no, Davenport, Iowa. But then he went on to announce for the Chicago Cubs, which that's huge, you know? But he's also a very handsome actor. You wouldn't think that this would be a radio personality because he's really 
He's kind of dashing and handsome. He's podcasting, but he's got a face for television. I mean, as a handsome podcaster, I totally relate. <laughs> oh, these are great. Oh, the cigarette ad. Yeah, Chesterfield cigarettes. What else do we have here? I have movie posters as well. Yeah, but we're looking now at um, a, a vitrine, a wall display of all of his movie posters and the ads that he's featured in. Incredible aesthetics of this era. You know, it's interesting too because it's like here he is shilling for this cigarette company and then going on to become president. And then later, I don't know if they're going to talk about it in here or not, but he also went to work for General Electric and did a whole series of lectures and videos and things espousing their politics and stuff basically in like the 50s and like maybe like early 60s. a corporate 60s. spokesperson. Yeah. yeah, which is very interesting because I wonder when, at what point, it became, you know, people were like, wait a second, that's a conflict of interest. You know, but I guess also we're coming out of like post-World War II where like the companies were working for the war effort. So it feels like this very like, communal. A lot of goodwill, like, that's a good point. Yeah, like yeah. it's all for like, you know, our country and very patriotic. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of goes into the 50s. Like, also growth is good. Growth is good for workers too, yeah. especially especially in that era where it's like where a growing company does employ more people. And so they, they understood their interests as being aligned in a certain period. So, I mean, he, he represents the other, the tipping point where that no longer becomes true. Uh, but maybe his success in, in the 80s is riding off of that, like, optimism and yeah, riding off of that yeah. idea of, like, you know... Well, that's how, that's how Fisher describes it. It's like that the 80s represents two divergent paths that history could have taken and that um, the, the Reagan-Thatcher uh, uh, revolutions represent the switching tracks from one, one trajectory of history into another. Okay, let's read the wall text. I realized that America faced no more insidious threat to the democratic freedoms we'd always taken for granted than communism. As president of the Screen Actors Guild, the influential Hollywood Labor Union, Ronald Reagan received an education in the struggle for power. After World War II, supporters of communism tried to expand their influence in Hollywood, in part by gaining control of unions. Ronald Reagan led the Screen Actors Guild in fighting communist influence. But his work with studio heads and the bitter labor struggle helped develop invaluable leadership and negotiating skills. To make our own decisions and determine our own destiny. And here he is in 1948, next to Truman and Humphrey Bogart. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Lauren Bacall. I don't think I actually know who that is. Another really famous actor of the time. Okay. Well, yeah, that's the Venn diagram right there, right? He's literally in between the former president and then like the most famous actors of the period right it's a gradient of like celebrity to politician and he's right in the middle oh this is this will be interesting meeting nancy davis in the fall of 1949 ronald reagan recalled i received a phone call that was to change my life and enrich it forever an actress named nancy davis asked him for help she was worried about being confused with another what? <laughs> she was worried about being confused with another actress of the same name who had a connection to communist front groups. Oh, shit. This is why people get verified on Twitter now. They met for dinner to discuss the problem and both claimed to have an early casting call in case the dinner didn't go well. <laughs> it's like a pickup artist technique. Uh, artificial time limit. <laughs> they stayed out late into the night. Within a few months, they dated only each other and they married on March 4th, 1952. 
Okay, we're about to step into the General Electric Theater. In late 1941, America entered World War II. Ronald Reagan was called to active duty, but his nearsightedness kept him from going overseas. Instead, he was assigned to the Domestic Motion Picture Unit. Like other members of my generation, I came home from the war expecting a better world. But I didn't like some of the things I saw after VJ Day. My own industry, motion pictures, was being ripped apart by a bitter labor dispute. In the early 1950s, I became the host of a new weekly television anthology program, General Electric Theater. For General Electric, here is Ronald Reagan. Along with his role as host of GE Theater, Ronald Reagan and his family helped spread the company's message. Oh, that's hot. Oh, it's not. Oh, but delicious. Everything's just right, isn't it, Patty? Yeah. Okay, this is interesting. We're looking oh, at... Okay, here we're we looking go. at yeah. a photo. This is called Reforming Welfare, it says on the plaque. Yeah. So this is when he was the governor of California. Yeah, I'll read the wall text here. When Ronald Reagan took office, California's welfare program was a huge burden on a financially strapped state. By 1971, the cost had reached $3 billion a year. Governor Reagan undertook a sweeping welfare reform plan. It stiffened penalties for fraud, removed some employed recipients from welfare, and required adult children to help support their parents on welfare, among other changes. We have this quote here in 62. He says, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The party left me. Ronald Reagan's years with General Electric were an invaluable apprenticeship in public speaking, political philosophy, and understanding the American people. Over these years, he lost his faith in the solutions of big government, campaigned for Dwight Eisenhower and Richard Nixon, and ultimately joined the Republican Party in 1962. I feel like there's a hazard in reading this in the context of the present day, because political cultural divides between Republicans and Democrats are incredibly different and not not really mapping on so i can totally in that context imagine someone who's just generally interested in politics and going into government and it's not the same fragmentation or polarization that we totally. have right now that's like that's so important like understanding like the union stuff on one hand and that previously people saw him as a union guy and even leading up to his election as president they kind of saw him as like a union guy and like how that would have related to, you know, him being in the Republican Party, all those dynamics. I feel like, because, yeah, it's not yeah. the same divide as today, for sure. And he helped create some of the more modern divide. Yeah, I mean, he was a, a supporter of PATCO leading up to the run in 1980, right? So a lot of things change. Oh, this one, that he was very hard on, like... Oh, the student, student protest. Protests. Whatever, I, I what would you call? Because basically, like, I want to call them boomers, but they weren't boomers. Because, like, boomers are actually the, the, the students at this time. Yeah, so, yeah, like, the, what, student, oh, <laughs> the boomer yeah. boomers. What the would boomers. you call them? Uh, well, we have the greatest generation who's before the boomers. And before that, you have the silent generation. Right? Which the silent generation is like the, the Great Depression. Oh, they, they suffered in silence. Like they learned not to complain because they had it really tough. Mm. And then the greatest generation is like, they're alive during World War II. The boomers are like the baby boom when uh, the troops come back and then there's a population explosion. Uh, best era of the American economy. We're about to enter the, we're just passing 1976 documentation from the campaign. Uh, the next section is called A Nation in Crisis, which is going to be his road to the presidency. Ronald Reagan's ideas for shrinking government, cutting taxes, and building a stronger military struck a chord with many audiences. 
Gerald Ford now narrowly won the nomination, but Ronald Reagan won the hearts and minds of many voters. He delivered a stirring speech at the Republican convention in Kansas City, Missouri. His campaign in 1976 made him the presumptive Republican candidate for president in 1980, where he carries uh, all but seven states. Insane. Literally impossible to imagine today. Basically now it's like, if you can carry like three swing states, that's that's the extent of it. Otherwise everything is codified uh, very rigidly. Dude, this, this room right here is gonna give someone a is, panic attack. This is a lot. Yeah, I need to take a photo of this with a wide angle lens. Like, imagine you enter into this and you're like, get me out of here. Like the walls, with a wall that says stagflation on one side. And it's like shortages, protests, gas lines, unemployment, failing, what is it? Oh, falling crop prices. Frustration. Maximum purchase, 10 gallons. The Misery Index. On top of the political turmoil of the decade, Americans suffered from a stagnant economy and high inflation at the same time. The stagflation made homes, food, energy, and other goods steadily more expensive as jobs disappeared. As one measure of the economy, an economist created the Misery Index, an unemployment rate and inflation rate combined. Many Americans began to lose faith in the American dream. At home, Americans suffered through factory closures, high energy prices, gas lines, and a 10-year battle with inflation. There's a picture of somebody holding a sign that says, full employment, stop inflation, end high prices, end unequal, unfair taxes. This, it's, this is part of uh, historical development under capitalism that at a certain point, it's, it's very good at industrializing uh, very quickly, but then it, it reaches a point of sufficient industrialization where uh, what capital accumulation tends to do is facilitate financialization, which can yield in the short term larger profits and begins to optimize for increasingly high frequency and high risk financial transactions rather than building out materials and infrastructure and, and things in the world. Uh, it becomes very efficient at moving numbers and symbols on a spreadsheet rather than building factories, jobs, roads, cars, everything else. We're looking at a picture of some older folks that's, and the sign says, senior citizens demand tax the rich, not the poor. I wonder if the saying, the tax, talking about the language of taxing the poor has to do with the rhetoric of inflation being like an unofficial tax on the poor. Misery Index is such a powerful frame, right? I mean, this is also... Uh, it's a good song name. <laughs> misery Index, yeah, yeah, totally. This is, this is a good point where memes actually connects <laughs> to the rest of this stuff, where the idea, the frame of Misery Index, the idea you take away is already implicit in the language, in the description. That's, misery Index is a meme. It's a way of understanding, of framing the problem that imparts an idea. It's a powerful one, too. So with all of that, with the 70s in the background, now... We're in 1980. 80 election. Acceptance speech. He was tremendously popular. He was like the most popular. The largest margins of victory. Overwhelming. Like there's never been anything like it since and there's never, there was never anything like it before it. To say a few words at this time. So we're looking at the Nancy and Ronnie <laughs> uh, outfits that they wore at the inauguration. Work, honey, 
the full cosplay available to buy in the gift shop. Her black gloves though are serving dominatrix realness. Yes, because it's all the, also buttoned up all the way to the neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very like Jackie O energy. Oh, totally. You know, totally, trying to like yeah. harken back to this classic American vibe. The first 70 days. On his first day in office, President Reagan began putting his ideas about government and the economy into practice. To begin controlling the growth of government, he eliminated non-essential travel and cut the number of government consultants. Moving swiftly, the Reagan administration lifted all energy price controls, began dismantling the Council on Wage and Price Stability, and ordered federal agencies to freeze pending regulations for 60 days. Ah, oh, I should say pegging. That's why. <laughs> that's what it was. Yes, that's why the leather gloves were out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. February 26th, President Reagan meets with Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher of Great Britain in the first of many official meetings that testified to their personal friendship and firm international alliance. Fascinating. Globalist, one might say. Okay. Curious. That pick is one fourth of my sweatshirt, bro. Oh, oh my yeah. sticker. Oh, yeah. What are we looking at here? I love a picture like that. It's just yeah, like dudes sitting around in a room, they're looking at a graph. This is surplus and deficit. United States government, budget surplus or deficit, federal funds, fiscal years 1955 to 1982. There's some small red lines that then become increasingly larger red lines. Very clear indication that the deficit is going way, way up. And it's a guy pointing at a sign. Everyone is very... You know, but it's funny because, I mean, he increased government spending hugely with the military budget, which I wonder if they'll talk about, like, basically anti-Soviet stuff, wanting to put missiles and things in other parts of Europe, like, aimed at Soviet Union, etc., I wonder, like, where this photo was, like, if it was published, you know, like, because it's a very, like, PR photo, like, look, they're concerned about the deficit, you know? Yeah, yeah, it it feels very stock, too, yeah. Millions of Americans today have had to tighten their belts because of the economic conditions, and it's time to put Washington on a diet, too. Gaining control of the size of government, getting our economy back on track, will not wait. March 30th, 1981. I hope you'll forgive me if I point with some pride to the fact that I'm the first president of the United States to hold a lifetime membership in an AFL-CIO union. Ronald Reagan remarks at the National Conference of the Building and Construction Trades Department, AFL-CIO. He fires the air traffic controllers six months later, five months later. He's like, psych! Hey, Josh, come here. You gonna... Antonin Scalia was the first person of Italian ancestry appointed to the Supreme Court. I bet you're proud, man. I'm glad. One of our own, yeah. So he appointed the first woman and the first person of color. (laughs) Hey, should we do this? You touch it to begin. Rebuilding America. When President Reagan came to office, the nation faced an economic crisis. Taxes. High tax rates hinder growth government regulations slow economy is this a political compass here oh my god wait oh my god wait wait what are we looking at we see in the upper left quadrant it's blue it says no taxes cutting taxes boosts economy on the right upper quadrant it's orange it says new spending helps a new spending cuts help taxpayers Deregulation improves business. That's bottom Fears left. Fears of inflation ease. Okay, well, let's try it. I'm dragging a puzzle piece. The puzzle piece is labeled 
deregulation improves business. And I'm slotting this into something that says government regulations slow economy. So I found the solution. Josh, you're ama- Look at you found the solution, man. Okay. Let me take a picture of this. This is really bizarre. I like that it's like very easy to see where they're guiding you into it. Housing prices are unaffordable. I know how to fix that. Cannot be that. High tax rates hinder growth. And the solution is cutting taxes boosts the economy. Quote by Joshua Citarella. That was me, completely in context. Those are my ideas. Welcome to the Oval Office. This door is the door that President Ronald Reagan would walk out of around Fridays around 3, leave the Oval Office, walk around the building, meet with Mrs. Reagan, board Marine One helicopter, and go to Camp David for the weekend. Mrs. Reagan said a president never had a vacation just a change of scenery. There are four things in the Oval Office that never change. The fireplace, the mantle, the presidential seal, isn't that beautiful? Which is a reflection of the presidential seal in the carpet. And the American presidential flag. There's always supposed to be a portrait of George Washington, him being our first president. This is George Washington when he was general during the Civil War. Every president gets to hang a portrait of their most beloved president, and President Ronald Reagan, behind that lamp on the wall, is President Andrew Jackson. They both came from a hum- humble background, humble family, in a small town. President Ronald Reagan kept his jelly bellies in there. Does anybody know what his favorite flavor was? Which one? You don't know? Okay, it was black licorice. And when he got out, when he had no more black licorice, he went to white pineapple coconut. <laughs> so now you're on your way to Air Force One and Marine One helicopter. Thank you for coming today. Thank you, folks. We are exiting the Oval Office and we're now preparing to see Air Force One. Oh, wow. Hey, we've got to, we have to stop and see those. What is this? Oh, my God. We're in the, I, want, I don't want to say a wing, we're in the portion of the exhibition that is devoted to Nancy Reagan. So pretty much, she's, she's been mentioned at a few uh, wall texts and, and panels previously, but this is artifacts, her clothes, her personal belongings. Wait, they're not getting into the, okay, so they haven't talked about the crack stuff, and they haven't talked. <laughs> they didn't talk about crack or They didn't talk about crack and AIDS. No. <laughs> but they're talking about her jewelry collection. <laughs> See, we need to do our own unofficial bootleg wing in the parking lot where we uh, set up little yeah, poster yeah. boards with our findings. Apparently her efforts like D.A.R.E. and all the reports were like, it was completely ineffective. If anything, maybe it, it made people do more drugs. Definitely learned about a few things I tried later. You're like, oh wait, people get high off of that? Okay, adding it to the list. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nancy. <laughs> Whoa, she played the title role in the comedy First Lady. Prophetic. I guess they were training for these roles their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Literally. We're looking at a... Wow. We're looking at a display of Nancy Reagan's campaign against drug abuse, the Just Say No campaign, which is pretty good uh, graphic design, but I don't think it was very effective, but we're looking at this amazing board game oh, wow. that is called... Dude, we need to play this. It says, a fun game that can help kids say no to drugs and alcohol. I wonder if we could find one of these on eBay. Oh my god, I bet they're... I feel like they'd be valuable. Probably, yeah. I like this Just Say No rhinestone pin. I'd like to do a version where we play the game and then try the drugs. That they're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Just to see how bad this really is. Just to see... My turn again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
But that would be an amazing stream activity, actually, dude. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Dude, yeah, we should that's, that's track it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is gonna be it. This is gonna be it. Okay. Air Force One. Let's go. Nope, never mind. Nope. It's just. <laughs> Wait, no, there it is. So the full airplane, Air Force One, is parked inside the Reagan Library. We're about to enter what's a giant, essentially an airplane hangar. I guess it's literally an airplane hangar because there's a full size airplane in it. This is the conclusion. This is the big, the climax, the finale of the Reagan Library. Checkpoint Charlie. Oh shit. I've been We're going behind the Iron Curtain. It's like a haunted house. <laughs> this is really anxiety inducing. There's literally a searchlight that's panning across the recreation of the Berlin Wall. That's good design. Also, do they want us to crawl under there? I kind of feel like they do, don't you think? I am a little bit claustrophobic. I feel like they want, I think this is for the kids. We have to do it's it though. Definitely for the, yeah. Dude, we have to do it. Are you scared? I'm a little claustrophobic, but I feel like we have to do it. Otherwise we're like complete wimps. We're not doing, we're not doing any of this halfway. No. You want me to go first? You scared, bro? I'm not scared, you're scared. No, and I can tell you're scared, man. It's all right, it's gonna be okay, dude. <laughs> I'll go first. <laughs> All right, we're grown adults, so we're crawling into. Oh god, this is scary. What just? Oh my god, the, the audio is scary as hell in here, dude. I don't like hearing these Germans yell at us. This is kind of cool. It's like a little <laughs> fort now. Now I like it. I know it's kind of now it's kind of cozy. It's like okay, this is. Think you scared me. Oh my god, oh, let's go. <laughs> Huge thing of Mao just got illuminated before our eyes. A series of frightful collisions between the Soviet Union and the capitalist states will 
In the traditional motion picture story, villains are usually defeated. The ending is a happy one. I can make no such promise for the picture you're about to watch. So we're watching something called the threat of communism. I understand working with our allies Until such time Germany could reshape her own destiny, she would be divided into separate zones of occupation, each controlled by an allied power, American, British, French, Russian. The Soviet Union has systematically turned her zone into a purely communist regime. In place of the comradeship for victory, barbed wire, suspicion, and distrust. Stalin announces that socialism has been attained in the USSR. Actually, the government has become everyone's boss. Truman's momentous decision to make the hydrogen bomb rocks the world. Uniform. Uniform of the Gulag. A Lithuanian Catholic priest wore this uniform in the Soviet labor camp system known as the Gulag. He was imprisoned for more than two decades for his part in supporting human rights and religious freedom in opposition to communist ideology. We've gone through the whole historical arc and now we are just in the pure ideology. This is way better than the first half. One or the other must triumph in the end. That's amazing in there. We crawled through the wall and everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yes, you did. Yeah. Felt free when you came out, huh? I very felt very free after we came out of that wall. <laughs> Greetings to you to Matrix One. 